Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. And as we begin, I want to I celebrate something with you this morning. Uh, you know, I'm not supposed to have favorites, like a favorite church member. But there's some things I'm just really not good at. And so I do have a favorite church member. And my favorite church member, uh, it's today, is her birthday. And Miss Jody Alexander uh, is uh, turning 30 for the third time in her life, plus one uh, today. She's back there right by the column. Happy birthday, Miss Jody. We love you and so grateful um, to you. You know, there's a lot of things in life that come really natural to us. Like we just have these natural tendencies, these things that we just, we just do, that we don't have to work, we don't have to put effort. All of us have different things that come very natural to you. Some of you, it's singing. Some of you, it's cooking. Some of you, it's athletics. Some of you, it's thinking. And for others of you, it's napping. Um, all sorts of things that come natural to us. There are also many things that come very unnatural to us. Like we're not good at these things. And some of these things that aren't unnatural to us, we still have to do. And so we have to work extra hard at these different things. I found in my life there are a whole lot more things that come unnatural to me than come natural to me. I'm not really sure other than maybe talking what really, really comes natural um, to me. This morning I want to draw your attention to something that is absolutely, completely unnatural to all of us. That we cannot produce on our own. Things that are so good, so wonderful, that this world deeply and desperately needs. Things that, that this world is starving and longing for. Things that we just, we cannot do these. They are unnatural for us. They go against everything that is ingrained in us. But, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, these things, though unnatural, are alive in you if you know Jesus. So turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're just going to jump straight in this morning, and we're going to look at what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit, these unnatural things that by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit of God, he wants to produce in your life. Stand in honor of God's Word, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and that you would help grow the unnatural in us by the power of what comes so naturally to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul has just finished describing 15 things that come very, very natural to us that none of us have to work very hard to do. The works of the flesh. And he's given us 15 distorted disruptive, destructive, um, random, and an incomplete list of things that, that just kind of come out of, of who you are, works of the flesh. And then immediately in verse 22, he flips over to the opposite, fruit of the Spirit. Now, before we get into what the fruit of the Spirit is and what it looks like, I want to do just a real quick 
comparison of the differences of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Because the two paired up next to each other in verse 19, 20, and 21, verses 20, verse 22, are incredibly different. One of them is works. One of them is fruit. Just there in that illustration, in that visualization that Paul gives us, there is massive difference. A machine works. When you think of work, you think of toil and labor and strain and effort. You think of what you and I do every day. The flesh produces works, striving for simple something. A machine in a factory works. You, for at least 40 hours a week, ought to be working. And turning out a product, whatever that is, a man-made product. None of us create anything that is God-made and supernatural. The only thing that we can create in whatever industry you're in, and whatever you're doing, and whatever your job title is, you are ultimately working to produce something that is man-made. That's a picture of the works of the flesh. What comes out of the flesh is man-made. What comes out of the spirit is fruit. Rather than strain and toil and effort and labor, when you think of fruit, you think of beauty, quietness, a picture of the unfolding of life over time and seasons, something that is not man-made. The flesh can only produce dead works, but the spirit produces living fruit. You take this list of 15 things of, of one-word illustrations that illustrate the disorder, the chaos, the damage, the, 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 the randomness and the incompleteness of, of, of what the flesh does, how, how destructive it is, and you contrast that to verse 22 and what you see so different than what you saw in verses 19, 20, and 21 of the works of the flesh is that you see harmony, cohesiveness, beauty. You don't have to be Mother Teresa to detest the things such as sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy, fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. You don't have to be Mother Teresa to know those things are bad. Like none of us from the worst human doesn't like seeing these things in our culture and society and in others' lives. We, we, we detest these things. We pinpoint these things. We see these things. And none of us really like these things. But compare that to the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's such a difference. We like these things. Nobody's, nobody doesn't like being around a person that's kind. We see that as a good thing, a positive thing, a healthy thing. We think these things are actually from even the worst of us. We... we we find these things appealing. We find these things good. We also see the difference in the plurality versus the single. It is works, plural, of the flesh versus the fruit, singular, of the spirit. You see, the flesh, your sinful nature, is trying to pull you in a thousand different directions and more. There's no cohesive, there's no unity. It's pulling you this way, it's pulling you that way. It, it's, it's so, so divisive inside of you, but the fruit of the Spirit is singular. 
one direction, harmony, unity. You don't have to do anything to produce the works of the flesh. You know how you get the works of the flesh out in your life? Just be you. Just be the most real you that you can possibly be. Lean into you, own you, live you, and eventually, and in surplus, the works of the flesh will come out. But the fruit of the Spirit, you can't produce. The only thing that can produce the fruit of the Spirit is Jesus Christ and His Spirit working in you. In the Bible, the work of the Spirit is often described as fruit. There's all sorts of fruit mentioned throughout the Bible. One of the fruit that is mentioned is people one to Christ. Another fruit is holy living. Another fruit is gifts brought to God. Another fruit is good works. Another fruit is praise. But here, in this description of the fruit of the Spirit, what we see is character. This is not to be confused with the gift of the Spirit, which is salvation, or the gifts of the Spirit, which is service. The gift of salvation is what God does for us. The gifts of the Spirit is what God does through us. This is the grace of the Spirit, what God does in us, what he produces in us. And while these things are incredibly unnatural to every single one of us, and if you think you're natural at these things, you are wrong. You are not natural at these things. These things only come by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. But here is the good news today for you and for me. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, all of these things are alive in you, and all of these things can grow, cultivate, and become who you are. This is in every single one of us, and you can be all of these things. This is ultimately, this list of nine things is ultimately a picture of what God is trying to do in you, what God is trying to make you and I like throughout our lives. Nine things, here's what they are. And it begins with the first thing that is really a foundational thing, a thing that basically you see a picture of this thing in all other eight things, and you can't get to the other eight things unless you get to this first thing first, and it's the word love. Love is a foundational characteristic and aspect trait that God wants to build in us. All the other fruits, all the other things listed here are an outgrowth of love. It's a foundation. Paul mentions that foundation and how foundational it is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says this, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, notice this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Salvation is because of God's love for you. You and I are the result, this change This new nature that we've been given, this Holy Spirit of God living in us, is the result of a transforming, sanctifying love of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that love is that we can now love God and also love others with the same kind of love that he loved us with. This was done for you, and this that was done for you is now inside of you. The love of God. And the love of God has such a powerful and eternal effect on your life 
that it produces all sorts of things in us. You see, his love, if you know it, changes you. Changes who you are. It changes what you do. It changes why you do it. And it changes how you see things. Fruit begins with love. Jesus spoke of this fruit of love in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, fruit can't come without love. Love cultivates the character of Jesus in us. Love is like the fertilizer or the sun or the water or whatever else. Love is like that to the rest of these things. These things cannot be produced in us without love. In fact, as you look at the list of things here, you see a commonality. You see a lot in common with with another passage of Scripture that Paul speaks of love where he describes what the kind of love, the unconditional God-like love that he has for us is. And I want you to see the comparison. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love. And in that, Paul gives a description of what love is, the love of God that he has for us and the love that he wants to produce in us for other people. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It's not arrogant, it's not rude, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable nor resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. God's love for us is unconditional. It's not like the fabricated love that mankind speaks of and thinks of today, which is always built usually, always usually. That's kind of an oxymoron. And I think we could probably say it's always built upon what a person's done, what another person does for us, or how a person appeals to us. You think of the way that the world love, it always has a condition to it. But the love that God has and the love that God wants to develop in us is so unnatural and so different than that. It is a love that has no strings attached. It is a love that has no conditions. It is a love that is everlasting, that endures all things. And love is essentially what the Spirit of God uses to combat the flesh and to produce the fruit. And a love like that enables us to have joy. Love and joy. Joy is a delight in God for his beauty and of who he is. Joy is wrapped, the existence of joy, the ability to have joy is wrapped in our hope that we have in him. Joy is so much different than the worldly fabrication of happiness because happiness is always wrapped up now happiness is a good thing happiness is a great thing God wants us to be happy I I want you to be happy I want to be happy happiness however is always wrapped up in our circumstances that are pleasurable that certain things make us happy that if we have certain things and if certain things go a certain way or or it's always wrapped up in something else joy is not like 
circumstantial happiness that is dictated and determined by what we have. No, joy is wrapped up in hope. It's wrapped up in who God is. It doesn't mood swing based upon the changing of circumstances. Joy is lived out in the midst of good and bad days. It's the celebration and expectation of God's victory over everything and enjoying him. You see, happiness is happier based upon the blessings that he gives us. As long as these blessings are in great order, I mean, I'm happier. But joy is not based in the blessings. It's based in the blesser. The unchanging, sovereign God. And then there's peace, love, joy, peace. Our world wants peace, our world longs for peace. We have been striving for peace since the beginning of humanity. We fight for peace, and yet all of the peacemakers and all of the peace treaties and all of the peace things we've done to make peace hasn't brought peace. But we have been given peace with God through Jesus. And that peace creates a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than your own. That's what peace is. Peace is a confidence and a rest in the goodness and the wisdom and the control of God. That sort of peace replaces worry. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It replaces worry and anxiety. You know, here's something we learn about the differences between the flesh and the spirit, or the flesh, the works of the flesh, and the the fruit of the spirit. Something that's drastically different. The flesh will always try to fabricate and make fake versions of the fruit. So, for instance, with love, the flesh has its own version of love. And here's my argument about the love that the flesh produces, is that it's not really love. It's selfish affection. It's a deep affection. It's a real affection. But it's an affection based upon how you feel. Because the way that our world thinks of love and the way that our world describes love is something that you can fall in of and out of. Meaning that there are certain conditions, there are certain things that can thwart and make me fall out of love. Basically, that's not love. That's not what the Bible describes as love. That's not who God is. That is nothing more than a souped up, beautified, Hollywooded version of affection. Not love. See, the flesh has fabricated this. The flesh fabricates peace. It fabricates joy with happiness. Fabricates peace with apathy. It counterfeits peace by by indifference, by saying, I'm good. Everything's fine. No problem. It's all good. Cool beans. 
I don't care. That's not peace. Not caring is not peace. Not being affected by what's going around, it's not peace. Peace is rest and confidence in the goodness, wisdom, and control of God. And then we come to patience. There's some of these things, like I mentioned earlier, that come natural, don't come natural. None of these come natural to us. And there's some of these fruits of the Spirit that is very evident that it doesn't come natural. Patience is one of those things for me. This is a very unnatural thing for me to be patient. Maybe you're pretty good at it. Maybe it's not as hard for you. There's nothing natural about any of these things. The only thing natural about these things is these are the nature of God. These are not human nature. These are not human things. This is the nature of God being cultivated in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one thing that is very clear throughout the Old Testament and the New about the nature of God is that he is slow to anger, he is long-suffering, he is patient. Patience is the tolerance to endure injuries afflicted by others. It is the ability to put up with people even when it's not easy to do. It's the calm willingness to accept situations and circumstances that are irritating, undesirable, and painful. Can Can I be honest with you? Patience stinks. From my perspective. But from God's, it's so good. Let me tell you why it's so good. Because God has been patient with you. With me. He has waited. He has held back his anger and wrath. He has patiently given Jesus He has given you his patience. And God still today is giving this world his patience. We see all the injustice. We see all the ugly things that are taking place in this world. Don't you think that that doesn't upset God? That God is not furious? We get angry about it. God gets even more angry about it. God detests the things that he sees. This broken world doing and doing to each other and tearing apart his incredible beautiful creation. God is angry at that but you know what? He's also patient. And he's being patient. Giving people grace through Jesus Christ to save them and rescue them out of that brokenness and he's done that for you. And having received that patience the Holy Spirit of God wants you to Give that patience to display that same thing to other people. Being able to wait with joy, peace, goodness, kindness, and faith, patience. And man, am I I not good at patience. You know, as I was studying this week in this, I, I came 
across, or I was reminded of a passage of Scripture that I've, I've always, you know, as a pastor, and as that's my calling, that's what God made me to do. I'm always encouraged by this verse. It's like my marching order of what I'm supposed to do. But I did notice the end until this week. Listen to this verse. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It says, preach the word. Man, I love doing that. I love doing that. I, I mean, I do that all day long. I mean, I really will. Like, if y'all want to stay and hang around for a long time and cancel your lunch, I'll keep preaching the word. I just love preaching the word. Be ready in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, and exhort. Man, amen. I don't mind stepping on your toes. I don't mind slapping you in the face. Because in all of those things, I'm actually missing because I'm going after your heart. Um, but then it says this, and I just, I've always ignored this, but it came out this week with complete patience. Hmm. You know what that means? I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do everything God told me to do. Man, I could absolutely kill it. And it may not do anything for you. Like, like if you're a person called to preach the word, you got to be patient because the people you're preaching the word to, they don't listen very good. As a pastor, I don't know why God made me a pastor because you know what? Not you, not you. Okay, not you. It's the people who aren't here. Not those of you online. <laughs> it's not First Baptist. It's the other churches I've pastored. Man, they irritate me. unnatural the only way to produce these sorts of things in our lives are by the spirit of God working in us cultivating within us the character and nature of God which is unnatural to us but is natural to the spirit and then kindness this may be unnatural for some of you in fact there are some of you that it is unnatural for let's just you can elbow somebody right now and say, this is for you, honey. Kindness. Kindness is a tender concern for people. It's, it's an attitude that is led by love. It's, it's the disposition. It's the way that we approach and the way that we respond to people whom we have a love for. You can't have kindness without love. You see, your response and your attitude will be different if it's based upon affections or it's based upon what those people do for you. But because your feelings towards people and your thought towards people is driven by love, the outcome of that is kindness. And so your knee-jerk reaction to people becomes kindness. It's an effect that love has upon you that then affects other people. It's the desire to treat others lovingly and gently. Here's where... We learned something else about the fruit of the Spirit. It kind of sounds, these nine things kind of sound like somebody, don't they? Who? Man, you guys are smart. Or, or some people over here are. You guys on the wings. It's Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. This is Jesus in action. This is what Jesus did. And man, his kind spirit is all over the scriptures, this is what we read of Jesus when he says this in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest in me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We see 
a kindness. The flesh fabricates kindness, but the fabrication of kindness that the flesh offers is not really kindness, it's manipulation. And it's manipulative good deeds done for others so that I can congratulate myself or feel I am good enough. It's not real kindness. This looks like friendliness and being polite, respectful, sensitive, hospitable, humble. Why? Because others deserve more than you, according to a heart that is kind. Then we come to goodness. We sing of the goodness of God, but you know, actually, goodness is actually a word. This word goodness is very rare in the New Testament. It only appears four times. But the picture and the description of goodness is, is not just one of morality or righteousness. Because you can be moral. You can do right things and not be good. This word goodness speaks of a benevolence, of a generosity towards someone. It's it's as Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter chapter 5. He says, if your brother compels you to go with him a mile, here's what goodness is. Go with him too. It's going the extra mile with someone. It's someone, as Jesus says, who asks for your coat and you give him more than that. It's not just being moral. It's ultimately something on the inside that comes out in a desire to do good for other people. To give of yourself for other people. We have a, we have a saying, we have a phrase that, that we want to capture in humanity, but the flesh can't quite do. But it's a phrase that we all value greatly. We, we talk about someone's actions being done out of the goodness of their heart. Have you ever heard that before? Man, that was a deed done out of the goodness of their heart. What we mean is that what they did made such an impact on us that, that it must have come from something deeper. That the reason they did that was, was out of the goodness of who they are. It's just who they are. Now, the flesh ultimately can't produce what we desire and what we describe in that. But that's the picture that's given here that the Spirit can produce. It's goodness. It's active kindness. It's love in action. It's that the actions that come out of a person's, the the sacrifice that come out of a person is done not for some other big picture, but it's done because they are good. Oh, this is the good thing about God. This is how we see God's nature working in us. God saves you. God loves you. God gave you Jesus. God did all of that stuff. Not because he had to fulfill some Old Testament obligation or because we coerced him into it. God did all that good stuff for you. Why? Because he is good. And he continues to be good to you every day. And that goodness comes out over and over. And that is what God is trying to cultivate in you and I. That sort of goodness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a word that we don't need a whole lot of explanation about what faithfulness is. We know faithfulness well. 
because we don't see it very much in our culture and in people. We know faithful as well because we understand that it's a big word in our Bibles. God is faithful and we come to him by faith. Faithfulness is a loyalty. It's a dependability. Trustworthiness. Courage to be utterly reliable and true. It's a fidelity. Faithfulness is something that we are absolutely lacking more and more day after day. Some of you remember the day where a negotiation, a contract, a firm, lifelong agreement could be done by the shake of a hand. That's it. Man's good for his word. But you know what? We learned that really wasn't true. Because the truth is, we know us. And if they're anything like us, they could break that word. So, let's actually get an attorney involved and sign something so that you're more obligated to keep your word. And if you don't keep your word, I can come get what you said you would do. I can do certain things to get that back. Why? Because we don't see faithfulness anywhere. And honestly, because faithfulness doesn't come naturally to us. It's why, it's why marriage is so hard. Because faithfulness is not an easy thing. It's not a natural thing. It's a God thing. Which is one of the reasons why it's so important for those of you that desire to be married or those of you that are married that God better be in the center of your marriage because you cannot do it without his faithfulness, learning his faithfulness. Faithfulness is crucial. It's something this world lacks and it's so unnatural, but it's something that the nature of God through his Holy Spirit is trying to grow in us. Gentleness. On one hand, a submissive and teachable spirit towards God and a humility to otherness, others. Gentleness sounds a little bit wimpy. He's gentle. Weak. But it's not at all. Just as wisdom is the right use of knowledge Gentleness is not the absence of strength. It's the right use of strength and power. It's what Jesus was. Let me tell you something. He was not a wuss, a coward. He was the man, the king of kings and lord of lords, who will one day come here riding on a horse with a tattoo on his leg, a sword in his arm, a sword in his mouth, and demolish this earth and raise up a kingdom for himself. And he's gentle. Power, strength, humbly applied. 
There's no excuse for a lack of gentleness. It's something that Jesus wants to grow in us. And, and the last thing here is self-control. Self-control, of course, is important because of pretty much a number of the works of the flesh are a result of a lack of self-control because we ultimately can't control our flesh. But a self-control that the Holy Spirit can give us is mastery over our sinful pleasures, our fleshly desires, our passions. The world would fabricate, and a godless world, and the flesh fabricate self-control by willpower, saying that it's in you. You can do this. You can beat this. You can, you can control this. But that's, that's not true. This is the Spirit's work in you to against the impulsive and against the uncontrollable in you. This is the Spirit's power over what overpowers you. It's being able to pursue the important over the urgent that we have. It's a deep thing that he works in us that cannot be done without him. And this ultimately is what the Spirit is trying to cultivate, this fruit he's trying to bring up in you. And the truth of the matter is, if you know Jesus, it's in you. How, how do you get this? How do we do this? How do we become more like this list? Listen, listen to what he says here in verse, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you gave your life to Jesus, if you have done that, you have been given forgiveness, you've been given eternal life, you've been given the power of the Spirit inside you, but also at that moment, your flesh got up on the cross and was crucified and no longer has dominion over you, and the Holy Spirit inside you has dominion over that. And these things, which are natures and characteristics of the Spirit, are living in you. Here is the good news. If you know Jesus, this is in you. It's in you. Every single one of these. I don't care what you see in the mirror. I don't care what is labeled of you. I don't care what is categorized you. Every single one of these can grow inside of you because of the Holy Spirit. They are not bound by your past. They are not bound by your upbringing. They are not bound by your tendencies. They are not bound by your personality or your personality traits. They are not bound by your Enneagram number. They are not bound by your DNA. They are not bound by your behavior and your past behavior. They are not bound by anything. The Holy Spirit of God can develop and cultivate these things in you. And God wants to do that in you. You have this life. And Jesus wants to cultivate it in you. Jesus said in John chapter 15 too, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And in verse 5 of John 15, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, Jesus wants to, by the power of his Holy Spirit, produce fruit, produce more fruit, and produce much more fruit. You have the life in you, so cultivate it. It's a fruit. You ever grown fruit? Me neither. I've eaten fruit. You know what I'm really good at doing with fruit 
is pretending I ate it when I actually threw it away. I've done that all my life. Fruit is, is a little different than other plants. Most fruit needs a certain climate. It takes a lot of care and attention to grow fruit and to grow fruit well and to grow fruit or a fruit tree that actually produces fruit. It takes time and the overtime of proper climate and proper cultivating it produces a little fruit, and then over more time of a continual action of that, the roots take enough hold, and the whole tree grows strong enough to bear even more fruit than it did in the past. Fruit is a great illustration of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. And in order to see those things happen, this fruit produced in you, you got to cultivate it. you got to put it in the right climate that climate is got to be in the word of God got to worship got to pray got to get around God's people let them help you and the spirit that's inside of them grow the spirit inside of you you've got to evaluate you got to pull some roots or some weeds. You've got to get the things out of your life that go against the growth of the fruit in your life. You've got to do what, what Paul says here in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You've got to walk with Him day by day, piece by piece, listening, following, obeying, being willing See, this fruit, it's unnatural. It is unnatural. It's not just going to happen in you. But this fruit is ultimately what makes us different in this world. Because fruit is also produced to be eaten. We don't, we don't produce fruit to put on display. Fruit feeds. The world around us and the people around us are starving for this fruit. They're starving for real joy, real love, real peace. They're starving for kindness. They're starving for goodness. They're starving for faithfulness and self-control, patience. People need people that will be patient with them. They don't see this in this world. In fact, one of the frustrating things about this world is while this world fabricates some of these things, it ultimately can't give these things, and yet there's a hunger inside of us for all of these things. And you can only experience these things through Jesus Christ. And the only people to really find these things are to be the people of Jesus. It's what differentiates us from anyone else in this world so that they might see it, find it in our lives, Let me tell you something. You start cultivating kindness in your life and acting out of kindness to other people, I promise you, people will say, what's up with you? 
You start being patient with people, especially those of you who aren't patient with people. Start being patient with people. I guarantee you, your family will be like, you want something? Because these things are something this world lacks. These things are something that they lack. You see, this fruit is not for our own consumption. This is not for your own good. This fruit is for the glory of God, and it's fruit that might feed and help others, and that through that, Christ might be guaranteed, get glorified. And ultimately, this fruit in you is our worship. Day in and day out, you and I worship without a set of drums, without a guitar, without a piano, without a hymnal, without an organ. Every single day, we have worship that is way more meaningful than any of this. And that worship is the fruit that is being produced in our lives. God is glorified when you let him cultivate the life he's put inside you. You have this life if you know Jesus. Cultivate it. Let it come out. Let this unnatural be shown. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fruit that you want to grow in us. In so many ways, we, we lack, and it's not your fault. It's ours. We are incapable of doing this. Lord, we've asked and we brought things before you this morning that are impossible. We've, we've, We've taken impossible situations. We've asked you to work in them. Lord, this is yet another impossible situation, one that we cannot do. Change us. Make us more like Jesus in our lives. Grow within us love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Make us a people that bear that fruit. Show this world a powerful, impossible change that you and only you bring. May we be submissive, surrendered, and obedient to grow that. Jesus' name we pray.